0: would invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. It is very good to see you here this morning. It is a blessing to hear you sing. Uh, last week was our, our first week back together as, as a subset of our congregation. And uh, in one glorious moment for me last week, I walked into the building and ran into Pastor Toby. And I said, brother, are we going to wear masks while we preach? And he said no. And in that, I rejoiced. So I'm thankful for that this morning. I, uh, I returned to the workplace this week after 11 weeks of working from home. And I was thinking this morning, it's such a, a challenging time. Uh, I have a set of rules that I'm, I'm submitting to in the workplace. We have a set of rules as we gather here this morning. I have discovered that there's a different set of the r- rules depending on which home improvement store that you're in. Uh, Whether you're on one side of County Line Road or the other, uh, there's just a dizzying amount of information and we try our best to submit to the authorities and do what is right. Uh, But it occurred to me this morning, uh, part of our response to all of that dizzying information, what are we supposed to be doing in this situation or in this place or at this time, in the midst of what is sometimes confusion, is to rejoice in the certainty of the word of God because the Word of God is the same. No matter which side of County Line Road you're on, which store you're in, what environment you find yourself in, what country you find yourself in, what century we find ourselves in, the Word of God is clear and certain and unchanging, uh, and in that we rejoice. We find ourselves this morning in uh, Joshua chapter 24, and as I thought about this text this week, I, I had some thoughts about my grandfather. Uh, My grandfather was a uh, a man of few words. Uh, But when he spoke, we we were quick to tune in uh, because what followed was usually something very good. Sometimes it was something very funny. Sometimes it was something very profound. And when he spoke about the Lord and the Scriptures, uh, we hung on every word. He never would have dreamed about standing behind a pulpit and he never would have stood up in an adult Sunday school class and attempted to lead a Bible study. But he knew the Lord, and he knew him in a profound and a deep way. And on the occasions where he would speak of his walk with the Lord, you just didn't want it to end. We have brothers and sisters like that within this congregation that God has not gifted or called to speak in a public forum like this, but they know the Lord in a deep and profound way. And in conversation in a small setting when they begin to speak, you just don't want it to stop. You just don't want it to end. This text that we're going to consider today in Joshua chapter 24, James Montgomery Boyce, in his sermon to his congregation, he titled this The Captain's Last Sermon. Because we come here today to the end of Joshua's life. And we're at the end of a significant chapter of of Israel's history because the the time of conquest is complete and and they've taken possession of the land. And it would have been a moment for the people of Israel when someone said, Joshua is about to speak. Because Joshua was not a preacher. And Joshua was not a teacher. Joshua had been their leader. And he had led them very capably capably as he followed the Lord. He had been a brilliant military leader and had led them under the Lord's hand to victory after victory after victory. They revered him, but he was not a preacher. And the captain was about to preach as he came to the end of his life. And I think the nation hung on his every word. This is a little bit of a rare Sunday at Gray Road. Uh, We are in between series as we gather here this morning. We have finished our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Pastor Toby will uh, begin another uh, series very shortly. Uh, But we have this opportunity for a one-week study. So, So why Joshua 24? Well, this really grows out of a study I had the privilege of leading a few weeks ago in 1 Samuel chapter 12. And in that study... Uh, I mentioned just briefly to you that I'd, I'd read a commentary talk about the uh, the nation of Israel's history, the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and how it can be divided into five sections. There is the, the time of deliverance under Moses. There is the time of conquest under Joshua. There is the time of the judges, the time of the United Kingdom, and the time of the divided kingdom. And that's a helpful grid to think through what this commentator said in passing, and he gave me nothing else to run with. He said, at the the end of each of these periods, there is a significant address by a man of God. There's a a song or a blessing or a message at the end of each of these periods of history. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And so I went looking for those. So if you go to the the next, if you'll advance... I don't know if you can see that text, if it's big enough, but at the end of the period of deliverance, you find words of warning and a song and words of blessing from Moses in Deuteronomy chapters 31 through 33. At the end of the period of conquest, we get this sermon that we'll consider briefly today from Joshua. At the end of the time of the judges, you get this speech from Samuel that we considered together just a few weeks ago. And at the end of the time of the United Kingdom, you get this uh, the words of the Lord himself to Solomon as the temple has built, followed by the words of a prophet named Ahijah to Jeroboam. And if you took the time to read all of those passages, you would find that there are the same themes that emerge over and over again. These these messages are separated by hundreds of years, but over and over again, God leads the man of God to take the people of God back to these same fundamental truths. And I'll submit to you before we're done here today that these themes reoccur very clearly in the New Testament. So we want to take some time together today to consider another one of these. I joked with John Tierney, I'm kind of using the, uh, the Star Wars methodology here. We're going to start in the middle and then we'll go back. Maybe someday we'll go forward uh, and see the conclusion of these. Uh, but we'll consider another one of these today in Joshua chapter 24. If I had to give you a take-home truth for today, it would be this. God's people must choose to serve the Lord. God's people must choose to serve the Lord. This is from the most famous of the verses in Joshua's sermon. Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe you have that on a plaque in your home. It is certainly the pivotal moment in this sermon. But the journey that Joshua takes getting to this verse is very important. And the verses that follow that most famous of these verses are actually very surprising. And we want to take a quick look at these today before we run uh, to a parallel text in the New Testament. As we begin to read through Joshua chapter 24, it's important that you see verse 2. He's going to begin this sermon and he's going to say, Thus says the Lord. And through the rest of the sermon, it is as if the Lord is speaking directly to the people. Not Joshua's voice, but the Lord. And so we will read it that way as we work through this. Joshua takes them in the early part of this sermon on a journey through Israel's past blessings. And in verses 1 through 4, I want you to see just this truth, that God chose Israel. Listen to verses 1 through 4. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads and the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Mentally circle that phrase, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. And I gave Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau the hill country of Sierra to possess. But Jacob and the children went down to Egypt, and they served other gods. Several years ago, there was a subset of us that had the privilege to go on a, a mission trip to South Africa. And in South Africa, we found ourselves in a, in a Zulu tribal area working with some missionaries that were there. And I still remember being taken through a marketplace out in that remote area, And there was livestock there that you could purchase. But some of the livestock had a mark somehow painted on the back of them. And the missionary that was with us as he was offering some commentary, he said, now those with the mark, those have been set aside for sacrifice. Because there in that place, there was pagan worship underway. And those animals that were marked were going to be sacrificed to some pagan god. And it was a jarring thing for me to see that, to think that that was still going on. And as you read this text and you think about God calling Abraham, you need to think of Abraham and his family in that light. This is who they were. They were a tribal people, lost, completely lost, worshiping foreign gods. They were idolaters. And there was nothing about Abraham that God would have looked at him and said, well, there's someone special, there's someone that is seeking me, there's someone uniquely gifted, I think I'll tap him and use him in some incredible way. He was living in complete rebellion to the one true God, a pagan idol worshiper in a very distant place. And God set his love on him and chose him and brought him out of that idolatry and from him created a nation for himself and from that nation came the Messiah. They are reminded here at this time of great national rejoicing as they have taken conquest of the land, they've taken possession of the land. They're reminded of who they were and how God chose them. Let's consider verses 5 through 7, and and they're reminded here how God delivered them. Verse 5 reads like this, And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward I brought you out. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers in chariots with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and he made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. As Israel considered their history, there should have been nothing in their history books that said we had this great military victory over the armies of Egypt. That is not what happened. And their national pride should never deceive them into thinking that is what happened. They lived enslaved under the mightiest military power of their day. They had no chance of finding their own freedom. And even when they fled, they were trapped between the sea and this mighty military power, and God delivered them. They had nothing to do with it. It was not in their own strength. It was not their military strategy. The Lord God of heaven delivered them when they were helpless. Verses 8 through 10, we find how God continued to protect and defend Israel. Look at verse 8. And then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Beyond the scene with Egypt and the Red Sea, as they continued on this journey and encountered different challenges along the way, God protected and defended them. Even those that rose up to curse them, he turned that cursing into blessing. And then specific to this moment of history, as they have taken possession finally and at long last of the land, as they are rejoicing in the fact that they possess the land, the Lord would say this to them, beginning in verse 11, in case they had not stumbled upon the point so far. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not... By your sword or by your bow, I gave you a land on which you had not labored in cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them, and you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. At this moment of national rejoicing over the conquest of the land, we possess it. Look where we are. Let's rejoice. The voice of God thunders from heaven and says, I gave you this. I gave you all of this. This is not by your hand. This is not by your cunning. This is a gift of God. If you had to summarize where we've been so far, the Lord says to them, I want you to know that you were pagan idol worshipers. You were helpless and homeless. And I have poured out my blessings upon you. Joshua, then pivots in his sermon from this tour of Israel's past blessings to a look at Israel's present responsibilities. How then shall we live in light of these things? And in verses 14 through 18, the most famous words of this sermon, he calls them to decision. He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God. Who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. The grid that Joshua lays out for them here is a striking one. At least it would have been striking to that audience at that time when he walks through this litany of other gods that they can serve. Having just walked through their history, he said, hey, if you'd like to serve the gods of Egypt, go ahead. We just talked about the great victories that God wrought not over only, not only over the armies of Egypt, but also over their gods. If you look at the plagues that God brought on Egypt, they worshiped the sun, and he blotted out the sun. They worshiped the river, and he turned the river to blood. He shattered not only their armies, but their false deities. Joshua says, if you'd like to worship one of those, go ahead. How about the people across the river, all the lands that we walked through, all of the nations that God delivered us from? He defeated not only them, but their gods. If you'd like to worship one of those defeated gods, feel free. And how about the gods of this land that we now possess? Do you remember the great victories that were wrought here? He overthrew not only these armies, but also all the false deities of this region. If you would like to serve one of those destroyed false gods feel free. But as for me and my house, we will serve the one true God. It is a powerful and pointed moment in this sermon for that audience on that day. And then you see the way that they respond. And their response here is glorious. If this was any Sunday morning at any church in the United States and the preacher brought a message with that kind of power and the people all said amen, and they walked the aisle, and they signed the commitment card, and we all rejoice, and we go home saying, what a great sermon, what a great day. Did you see what God did there? I wish every Sunday was like that. It's not quite how Joshua responds. They've given the Sunday school answer. They said God, Jesus, in the Bible, right? That has to be the right answer in Sunday school. They said all of the right things. They responded in the right way. And yet look how the man of God responds as he calls them beyond decision into devotion, beginning in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and he put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone, and he set it up there under the terebith that is by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness for us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And then the rest of this chapter records the death and burial of God's servant Joshua. Man, what, a, what an unexpected response from the man of God to the people of God. What in the world is going on here? Joshua is striving to drive them beyond a simple amen, beyond a simple acknowledgement that, yes, these things are true, and we must do them. He is moving them from decision to devotion, and he's saying, I'm really not interested in just making sure you know the Sunday school answers here. I want to know that you will choose and keep choosing and keep choosing to follow the Lord because I'm about to die He didn't say that, but that's what's here, right? I'm going to leave. I'm going to go off into eternity. And I want to know that you are committed as a people to choose and keep choosing and keep choosing and keep choosing to follow the Lord. These are the themes that he sounds in this sermon. These are the themes that 400 years later Samuel will sound in his sermon. These are the themes that Moses sounded in his sermon and in his song and in his blessing. These are the themes that are sounded by the Lord himself at the completion of the temple and by the prophet to a new king. And I want to fast forward 1,400 years, and I want to pivot just a little bit from the story of the nation of Israel to your story into my story. And I want you to see these same themes hammered home again from the, the pen of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 2. If you'll join me there. Ephesians chapter 2, and we will read a very familiar fa- text in verses 1 through 10. And I want you to see these same themes echoed into your life and into mine. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes of you, and he writes of me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Let's just briefly walk through this text. I just want to echo the words of the Scripture to you this morning. And our story, the text says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin, that you walked in sin, that you followed Satan, that you lived in the passions of your flesh, that you were carried out the desires of your body and mind and were by nature children of wrath, screaming from this text and screaming from Joshua's text, remember who you were. Do you remember who you were? I think we can fall into the trap in conservative evangelical circles. We can fall into the trap as conservative evangelical Christians devoted to the scriptures. Although we might never say it exactly like this, we can fall into the trap of thinking, man, isn't God lucky to have us on his team? We can begin to have this false view of ourselves, thinking somehow we have arrived, somehow we have accomplished something, somehow we have got it all together. And here is the reminder of Scripture. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were pagan idol worshipers. We were by nature the enemies of God. There was nothing in Him, nothing in us, that He should desire us. And that is who we were. Praise God, the text doesn't end there. Again, recounting to you what the text says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He saved us by grace. He raised us up with Christ. He seated us with, with Christ in the heavenly places, that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his kindness. He reached into Abram's life for no reason beyond the fact that he decided to. Beyond the fact that he decided to set his love on Abraham. Forgive me. I tried to get my mind around what what this means, and everything falls short. If you've had the privilege in your life of having children... Before you know them, before you have any idea what they will be like, you set your love on them, right? You love them because you love them. And you have set your love on them. Not based on any merit that they have or their performance or their personality. You simply set your love on them. And that is true, but it is completely inadequate to describe what God has done. I loved my boys before I knew them. God has blessed us now with daughters by marriage. I loved them before I knew them. But God has made this path easy for me because they are lovely people and they are easy to love. Here is what God has done. He has set his love on us. He has chosen to love us. And we are not lovely. We are by nature his enemies, by nature objects of his wrath. And he chooses to set his love on us. This text says you haven't seen anything yet. Do you see it? In the ages to come, he's going to blow our minds with the immeasurable depth of his kindness towards us. It is overwhelming the way that he has blessed us. In light of all this, friends, in light of who we were, do not forget who we were. In light of the way that God has blessed us, look at what Paul says. At the end of the text, he says this. So, you have been saved by grace through faith, right? You get it? It is not of yourselves. It is not by works. You cannot boast. You are God's workmanship. So you were created in Christ to do good works. So you should walk in good works. Paul would say in light of all of this, walk in good works. Walk and keep walking and keep walking and keep walking with Christ and after Christ. Joshua said it like this, in light of all of these things, choose and keep choosing and keep choosing and keep choosing to serve the Lord. We're going to go back to this take-home truth, but don't start packing yet, okay, because we're not done. We're going to go just a little further. If you guys would advance to the next slide. This is the take-home truth that we started with. God's people must choose to serve the Lord. I know you well enough to say that your your heart says amen to all of these things, right? I know that your heart says amen to all of these things. But man, for me, and for you, I just want to press a little bit, as Joshua pressed, that we get beyond the Sunday school amen to this. And that we think about this a little deeper and a little more profoundly, and that we move maybe beyond the point to affirming... Beyond the point of affirming these things mentally to a point of real devotion to these things. That we would choose and keep choosing and keep choosing to serve the Lord. That we would walk and keep walking and keep walking after Christ. I look around this room this morning. It's a very different scene than any that I have ever seen, right? Although speaking a few weeks ago to an empty room was also unique. I can also look around this room and think about faces that are no longer here. And by that I don't mean the faces that have moved away or the faces that have found their way into another gospel preaching church. I think about the faces of those who are no longer choosing to serve the Lord, who used to sit here among us. Those who are no longer walking and walking and walking after Christ. And it's heartbreaking. And we need to say with Joshua, we need to say to one another that we must press on and that we must continue and that we must choose and keep choosing and keep choosing. James Montgomery Boyce, at the conclusion of his sermon on Joshua 24 to his congregation, said these words, a generation from now, those who follow us may utterly forsake the Lord. They may go after the evil gods of our materialistic culture, but we must not do it. We must say with Joshua, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If God allowed us somehow, two or three generations from now, to walk in to the gathering of Gray Road Baptist Church, I wonder what would be going on in this pulpit. I don't know. If God were to allow me somehow two or three generations from now to walk into the gathering of the Tyra family, I wonder what will be happening. I don't know. Joshua proclaimed this message to the people of Israel, and you know what? By and large, that generation and the generation that followed, followed the Lord. And then we find ourselves in the chaos of the book of Judges where every man did what was right in his own eyes. Those things are beyond our control, those things we leave to the sovereignty of God, and we pray that those generations that follow will be faithful. But friends, the charge from this text, the charge over and over again from the pages of Scripture at all of these key junctures is the same to the people of God. The call in our lives is that in our families and in our churches as we walk together today and in the moments that follow and in the weeks that follow and in the years that follow, that we would choose and keep choosing and keep choosing to serve the Lord, that we would walk and keep walking and keep walking after Christ. May that be true in my life and in my family and in our congregation. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you for your word that does not change. Father, I thank you that because you know us, you have put the things that are most important for us to see over and over again in the pages of your word so that we don't miss them. Father, we know that you are sovereign over all things. We know that we are saved by your grace. We know that we are saved because you stepped in and chose us, and we marvel at that. And yet, Father, screaming from the pages of Scripture is this call to choose ourselves, to serve you and to obey you and walk with you. Father, I desire that in my life, in the life of my family in the life of our congregation, that we would be faithful to choose to serve you and to walk after Christ. I pray these things in his holy name. Amen.